Good morning to those joining us online, and especially if there are any Chelsea supporters. Uh, maybe you're just waking up. Uh, it was, I'm, I'm a Chelsea supporter myself. That's uh, football for American friends. It's not the one you throw with your hands, but it's the proper stuff. And uh, Chelsea were playing uh, Man City uh, last night. Um, and I'm a Chelsea fan, and my wife is a Man City supporter. But thankfully, she's just a nominal supporter. And uh, this week, we, th there was also another final that was happening uh, with Man United, and they lost. So it doesn't get any sweeter. <laughs> Man United lose, Chelsea win. And sometimes I, I face theological you know, questions around supporting uh, football. I, can you really rejoice when someone else is in pain? Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll do a bit more study on that, and, and I'll let you guys know. So the title of my message this morning is Unstoppable or Against All Odds, and will be in Acts chapter 5. So please, if you have your Bible. And uh, this, uh, this title is in no way uh, inspired by Chelsea Football Club. Uh, it's, it's, it's all in line with what we've been talking about within the book of Acts. And for those joining us for the first time, uh, welcome and karibu sana. Uh, as mentioned, we are going through the book of Acts, uh, which is an account of how the early church was formed, functioned, and spread from Jerusalem, uh, which uh, back in the day wasn't as big a deal as it is in, in world politics as it is now. And we see uh, the gospel spreading from Jerusalem to the major cities in, in the Roman Empire. And the, the book ends with Paul in Rome itself. And so I, I titled this message, Unstoppable, implying that uh, there were many things within uh, the story or within this movement that were meant to stop the spread of the movement. Indeed, that were uh, designed to stop it, but yet we see a greater power and a momentum at work uh, to keep it going. And again, I, I titled it Against All Odds because this was not a movement that was well-resourced, uh, that was started by notable, talented achievers who wanted to change the world, but it was a movement uh, with many poor, uh, uneducated, despised, and oppressed in society. And uh, one philosopher writing an attack against Christianity in AD 180, his name is Celsus, he said this, they, Christians, say, but as for anyone ignorant, anyone stupid, anyone uneducated, anyone who is a child, let him come boldly. By the fact that they themselves admit that these people are worthy of their God, they show that they want, they want and are able to convince only the foolish, dishonorable, and stupid and only slaves, women, sorry ladies, and little children. He goes on to say, whoever is a sinner, they say, whoever is unwise, whoever is a child, and in a word, whosoever is a rich, the kingdom of God will receive him. Now what Salsus is saying was a gross exaggeration. But we need to ask ourselves, how could a movement thus despised as composing of the wretches of society, not only endure, but to spread and have global reach today. Now, you might think to yourself, well, this sounds 
like a, a nice story, but how is it relevant to me and why today? May I suggest that in many ways, we all are looking for something bigger than ourselves. Each one of us want to leave our mark on the world. We want to leave it a better place. We want to make our lives count. And for some of us, that means finding meaning in, in fighting climate change or, or improving the environment. And some of us are, are finding meaning, making our lives count by, by aiming to, to self-actualize and, and be the best you that you possibly can be. For others, we, we are finding meaning, trying to make the world a better place through science and, and technology or, or building a business that creates employment. And some of us find meaning in, in fighting injustice, uh, relieving the oppression of the poor. Now, all these are incredibly worthy causes, and, and some of them with deep biblical meaning. But are they ultimate? In fact, is there any such thing as, as the ultimate cause? I believe there is. And I believe as we journey through the book of Acts, we see this ultimate cause. This is the one that is unstoppable, the one that is guaranteed to succeed and gives every other pursuit, every other cause worth meaning and value. Now, I don't want anyone hearing me today to give your life for anything less. I don't want anyone hearing me today to come to the end of your life and, and look at it and think, man, did I make a count? Instead, I want you to find your place alongside God in this ultimate cause, this ultimate purpose in history that is unstoppable. But not only do we long for something that is greater than ourselves, many of us, if we were honest, would admit that we're facing heavy odds in life. And if you're an African like me or you love Africa, we'd have to admit that in Africa, the odds are stacked against us. The odds of poverty, politics, disease, the quality of life, war, tribalism, corruption, bureaucracy. We could spend all day naming them. And perhaps it's even more personal for you. It's in your family, your, your health, your opportunities in life, your, your business, your relationships, and even the things that you're passionate about, you can see that the odds are stacked against you. And it will be understandable for you to, to give up and to despair. But my hope is that as we look at this story, as we see what God was doing in the early church, you'd find hope, you'd find strength, and you'd be equipped not only to survive, but to thrive against all odds and God's unstoppable purposes for your life. And so as we get into this story, remember that we've seen the disciples being threatened in, in Acts chapter 4. Then we, we, we saw incredible generosity, but also hypocrisy. And then we ended with Sean telling us how there was great fear filling everyone in that community. So what would happen next? As we answer that question, let me just pray for us. 
Father, we thank you for the joy of being together and being able to share in your word, to, to um, think about people who are yet to hear the gospel, but also find encouragement that your message is unstoppable and progresses beyond all odds. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be powerfully present amongst us, and would you show yourself, Holy Spirit, come in great power, come in great might. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, the passage that we're going through is fairly long, so I'll kind of just tell it and paraphrase it, but you can follow along on the screens and you can also follow along in your Bible. So what happened next is that many signs and wonders were being done through the hands of the apostles and great fear was filling everybody and people wouldn't just join themselves to the disciples yet at the same time we find so many becoming believers, both men and women, and they used to meet daily uh, in the temple porch. Now, the people who are in charge of the temple, that is the high priest and his party of the Sadducees, weren't too happy with how this movement was growing. So they decided to arrest the apostles. And so they arrest them and they put them in the public jail. But in the middle of the night, when they were behind lock and key and there were guards guarding them, an angel of the Lord came and set them free. And he told them, go back to the temple and tell the people all the message of this life. And so early the next morning, the apostles went back into the temple and they began teaching people about Jesus. Meanwhile, the high priest and uh, the Sadducees and the whole council of the elders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, were gathered together to try the apostles. And so they sent the guards to say, go and, and get them out of the jail. The guards went and they found that everything was as it was last night. The, the bars were locked, the guards were there, but the apostles were not there. So they went back and reported this to uh, the high priest and, and, and the whole parliament. And while everyone was wondering how this would all end, there came a report like, guys, the people we put in prison right now are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So they sent the captain of the guard to go and get them. But this time they came uh, gently because they didn't want to offend the people. Let's say stone them and they asked them to come before the council. Now, I think the first question that you and I would have had would have been, how did you guys get out of prison? But not so uh, with the high priest. What he asked was, didn't we strictly charge you to stop teaching in this name? What are you guys doing? You are spreading your teaching throughout all Jerusalem and making us responsible for this man's death. And the apostles replied, Hey, remember the last time we were here? We said, we will obey God, not man. And this is what we're doing. This Jesus, whom you guys crucified hanging on the tree, God raised up and he has lifted him up to his right hand and he has made him leader and savior. And so now repentance and forgiveness are being preached in his name. 
We are witnesses of this, and so is the Holy Spirit who God gives to everyone who obeys him. The high priest, they were cut to the heart. They were so angry. They were furious. They wanted to kill them immediately. But there was a man called Gamaliel who was a Pharisee and an elder among the people, much respected. He stood up and said, can we just get these guys? Can you just ask them to step out the room? And let me say something. And when the apostles were taken out, he said, men of Israel, be very careful what you will do to these men. Remember, there was this guy called Judas who rose up, said he was someone great, and 400 men followed him, but he was killed. And after that, his followers dispersed. Remember Judas the Galilean. He also rose up, said he was someone great, but then he was killed. And the same thing happened to his followers. Now listen to me. If this thing is of man, leave it at home. What happened to Judas and Thutis? This is the same that will happen. But if this thing is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. In fact, be careful you don't find yourselves fighting against God. The high priest and the rest of the council, they listened to what Gamaliel had said, so they called back the apostles, and then they beat them. Now, when I say beat them, don't imagine this is kind of like just clap or... This is most likely the 40 minus 1, whipped with a cowhide. People were known to die from such weeping, uh, whippings. But the apostles left there rejoicing because they said, we've been found worthy to be persecuted for this message. And day by day, they went on teaching in the temple and from house to house how Jesus was the Christ. This is our reading for this morning. Now, this is a lengthy passage, and we've been going verse by verse, but don't worry. Uh, I just want to draw two things out this morning. Firstly, opposition is inevitable. Secondly, God is indomitable. What am I saying? If we are to be unstoppable, if we are to overcome, overcome against all odds, we need to know that opposition will be inevitable. But not only that, God is indomitable. So inevitable opposition. Friends, realizing this one thing will help you tremendously for your faith, your mental health, and your growth in life. In this life, God's people will face opposition, pain, difficulties, and obstacles. There is no detours around this. Now, while there are many reasons for this, I want to touch on two. Firstly, that we have an enemy and our message is offensive. For those of us who were here last week, you heard how Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, why is it that Satan has placed it in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The same devil who tempted Ananias and Sapphira we see him at work in bringing opposition against the apostles. 
He works both within the community and outside of it. This past week, uh, in the news, the former head advisor to the British Prime Minister, Dom uh, Cummings, he gave a scathing report of how the British government handled the coronavirus. And one of the things that he said is that they should have been placed on a war footing much earlier. And I believe this is God's word for many of us this morning. That you're going through life with peacetime expectations and a peacetime mindset. The devil might as well be a mythical figure in a children's book for you. But God wants you to be on a wartime footing. The opposition is real, inevitable, and the stakes are eternally high. This is why the Bible encourages us to stay sober-minded, to keep aware of the devil's schemes, to be strengthened in the Lord, to be fully armed, to resist the devil. As one once said, the Christian life is one you're encouraged to wake up and have your armor fully on. If we're to be unstoppable and overcome against all odds, we must be fully prepared to face our enemy. The next thing is that our message is offensive. In today's story, we see opposition coming from outside the church, the, the, the leaders of the day. They felt that their position was being threatened by this message because they were saying that there was a Messiah. He, he, was, he was the one who inherits the, the throne of David. Now, imagine if imperial Rome uh, heard this message. What would they do to Israel? Not only that, they didn't agree with the doctrine of the resurrection. The, the, the Sadducees were famous for not believing in the resurrection, not believing in angels and, and other such things. And so it challenged their version of truth. Thirdly, they didn't like the accusation this, that, that they were the ones who were responsible for Jesus' death. It, it, it confronted their sin. Brothers and sisters, our, our message in every time and every place challenges people's security. It challenges their version of truth, and it confronts them with their sin. We cannot change the message. It is what it is. Peter preached the message that Jesus died by being hung on a tree. This alluded to him being cursed. And he said this message was one of repentance, that people needed to completely reorient their lives, reorient the way they see the world, and find forgiveness for their sins. People across our city are finding security in land, career, property, reputation, even their own good character. The gospel will challenge this. They have a version of truth in which all is okay in the world. And they're pretty much good people who don't need a savior. The gospel will challenge this. And understandably, it's, it's very daunting to share your faith in today's world. You don't want to come across as arrogant, superstitious, gullible, or intolerant. But we need to realize that this message hasn't become offensive today. It has always been offensive. Paul says in Corinthians 1, to 23, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. 
The gospel is offensive to every culture. Of course, people will say, how can you be so arrogant to say your faith is right and every other faith is wrong? How can you judge my life and call me a sinner? How can you have such primitive beliefs and morals with all our advances in economics, science, and knowledge? Some will say religion is the opium of the poor. It's for the uneducated masses. Look at the West. They're moving away from religion. It's not for clever people like us. How can a loving God send people to hell for not believing? This message will inevitably rouse opposition. Our message is offensive. Opposition is inevitable because we've got an enemy and an offensive message. What wonderful news. So how do we handle it? It's by trusting in an indomitable God. Now, when I told my wife, um, you know, this is the second point of my message, she was like, indomitable, what does that mean? And I know some of us on the African continent, we associated with the Cameroonian national team, the indomitable lions. But instead, this word indomitable means incapable of being overcome, subdued, or vanquished, unconquerable. And in our story, as we see the disciples uh, facing this opposition from uh, the leaders in their community, we find God's indomitable nature expressed in four ways. First, the miraculous. Second, their courageous witness. Third, their joy in suffering. And finally, their enduring mission. Where we see Satan trying to destroy the church from both within and without, we see God working mighty miracles through the hands of the apostles. It says that people were bringing the sick and those who were oppressed by demons from all over. And they thought that even Peter's shadow could heal the sick. Friends, being on a war footing doesn't mean we rely on our own self. We become stoics, summon our inner strength and courage, but it means being strengthened and encouraged in the Lord. Now, as we talk about miracles, I, I know that many of us can give examples of people who haven't been healed, who haven't been delivered. I, I used to have a life group leader in my hometown whose name was Kiran Gulab. He came from Indian descent. He became a Christian and he was rejected by his family. Many years later, while he was in his shop, a blind man walked in begging for money. And Kiran said, I don't have any money, but what I have, I'll give you. And so he prayed for him. Nothing happened. The blind man went out, went home. And this is how the story is then told in our newspaper. At night, the blind man has a dream. And in his dream, Kiran is talking to him and is saying, in the name of Jesus, see. The blind man wakes up and he was able to see. Now, I spoke to Kiran. I saw the newspaper cuttings with this story. Friends, the miraculous is real. 
My wife, when she became a Christian, she tells this story. That this guy came, she was still in high school, and he was sharing the message of Jesus. And she was just feeling that she wanted it. She couldn't wait for him to finish so that she could go up front. And so when he finished and called people up, she started to walk up front. And then she blacked out. And the way she tells it is she started hearing herself speaking in a strange voice. You'll need to ask her afterwards what kind of voice it was. I wasn't there. And then people gathered around her and started to pray for her to be delivered. And she was. And in her own words, she has never felt as free. Brothers and sisters, miracles of healing and deliverance are still happening today. I could share more stories from our own lives of what we've seen God doing in delivering people from addictions and seeing people getting healed and, and seeing people set free from the things of witchcraft. This is the indomitable God. We see him in the miraculous. Not only that, we see it in the courageous witness. Remember, these are the apostles who had run away from Jesus when he was arrested, and now they are facing death with such courage. I mentioned so many things that can cause us to shy away from sharing our message. And I know some of us will say, hey, look, I'm not an upfront man or woman. I'm not, self I'm an, I'm not a self-confident speaker. But God's not looking for those who are self-confident and eloquent to share his message. Listen to what 2 Chronicles 69 says. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. I'm not calling you to stand up on a street corner and do a street crusade. It might be just courage to invite your neighbor over for a meal and cultivate a friendship. It might be uh, courage to spark up a conversation with a, with a co-worker that will get them thinking. Friends, if we are to reach the city, if we are to reach the unreached people groups, it will take each one of us bearing courageous witness. And can I let you in on a secret? I, I find it intimidating standing up here. I'm from a small town in a small country with a small economy. <laughs> and here I am standing in a big city, in a big nation, to people from all across the world. But we all need to come out of our comfort zones. And it's only through the courageous witness of God. And when God uses those who were previously intimidated, those who were previously fearful, then we can truly say, this was the work of God. Thirdly, we see the indomitable nature of God through their joy and suffering. Jesus had said, blessed are those who are persecuted for his name. And so this caused the disciples to be joyful, to rejoice 
in suffering persecution. You see, when you trust in Jesus, you are always a winner. You're a winner when you see miracles and, and deliverances, and you're a winner when you experience pain. Because God's indomitable love is for you. As Paul asks, what can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ? And he goes on to list all the things that, think, that can threaten us. The Christian faith doesn't hide away from pain. It doesn't shy away from suffering. You know, sometimes people think this, this is the unanswerable question of pain and suffering. Yet when we come to Scripture, we find disciples and the very writings rejoicing and suffering. Paul says, we are counted as poor, yet we make many rich. As persecuted, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And when he considered all that could threaten life, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. When we are loved by the indomitable God, we ourselves become indomitable in the face of pain and suffering. This is amazing news. And maybe you're going through a, a time of, of difficulty, of pain. And I want to urge you to hide, to find strength and courage in this indomitable love. Maybe you're going through a difficult time in your family. Relationships have broken down for one reason or the other. And you've got nowhere to run or nowhere to hide in. But God calls you to find courage and strength in his indomitable love. Now, having spoken about the inevitability of opposition and our indomitable God, I want us to close by revisiting how I talked about how we find meaning and how we can leave our mark on the world, how we can be part of something greater, bigger than ourselves that's unstoppable and that will succeed against all odds. Let's consider Gamaliel's words when he says, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Friends, there are still many Thudases and many Judases calling people to their causes, calling people to their version of saving the world, but the question is, is it of man or is it of God? Will it last before, will it endure before your lifetime ends? Will it endure for generations? In Gamaliel's thinking, Jesus was just the same as Judas and Judas. He says, hey, we've seen all of this before. In fact, when the early church started, when the Holy Spirit came down, there were 120 people. Judas had 400 people. Hey, we, we know these guys from Galilee. Didn't you hear about Judah from, from Galilee? Come on. What's the fuss about? 
The Christian message wasn't propagated by governments. It, it wasn't propagated by capital. It wasn't propagated by, by any man-made force or power. Yet here we are in Nairobi amongst Kenya's 44 tribes proclaiming the message of Jesus. Is it of man or is it of God? What are you giving your life for? And this morning, I want you to consider. I want to ask you. I want to urge you to give your life for God's purposes because they are unstoppable and will overcome against all odds. Jesus gave his life for this message. We hear how he was hung on a tree, died a cursed death. We see the apostles being whipped for this message. Would you do the same? Are you a teenager? Won't you make this decision now before you go to college? Won't you make the, this decision now to, to live for something greater and bigger than yourself? Won't you make this decision now to, to look for something that will truly leave its mark on the world, that is truly unstoppable, that will truly overcome? Are you unmarried? Well, won't you make this decision now before there's someone by your side? Won't you make it now to live a full life now, not to, to think that your best days are ahead of you somewhere with someone, but right now, you can live a life that is unstoppable. You can live a life that overcomes by pursuing this mission, this purpose of God. Are you married? Won't you together consider what this could mean for you as a family? And as I close, I want to pray for those who have felt like the odds have been against you. You have felt like you've been going uphill and that for a long time. You felt... You've been fighting alone. I just want to pray for you that you might realize the strength of this indomitable God. And so if that's you, why don't you just stand wherever you are and we'll pray for you. I believe there's some who have even let go of dreams that God has given you because it's just looked so impossible. It's, it's just looked like it wasn't going to happen and you didn't want to be disappointed anymore and you just laid it aside. And I feel that God wants to awaken those dreams. God wants to remind you that opposition will be inevitable. Difficulty will be inevitable. Pain will be inevitable. But you've got an indomitable God on your side. Why don't you just stand where you are and we'll pray for you.
Father, I thank you for this message, this encouragement that warns us of inevitable opposition, that reminds us that we have an enemy, that reminds us that our message will be offensive, but thank you for the resources that you give us. Thank you that you're a miracle-working God. Thank you that you give us courage even when we're fearful. Thank you that you give us joy in the midst of pain and suffering. And thank you that you call us to be a part of an enduring mission. I pray for us as a church that would give ourselves to this, miss, this mission as we look to the unreached peoples, as we look into our city. In Jesus' name, amen.